Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord, your God, right? You respect God, all right. Show that by how you treat each other. It's one thing to say like, yeah, I love God, but then your lifestyle can totally contradict that. In fact, John had a lot to say about that in the book of 1 John. He was like, I hear a lot of you saying you love God, but I also hear a lot of you saying people saying you hate your you hate your brother, and it's like those two aren't compatible. Oftentimes, the things that bring us the greatest sense of purpose come with a price. When we find our calling, it brings a sense of joy. But at the same time, sacrifices are made, and it's never a perfect picture. Today, Pastor James explains that living your life for Jesus isn't always going to be easy, but it will be a life that gives you the most purpose that you've ever felt. If you want to experience true change and cut out the things that drag you down, follow Jesus. Let him mold you into the best version of yourself. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Leviticus chapter 24 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. You can prune your vineyards, harvest your crops, but during the seventh year, the land must have a Sabbath year of complete rest. It is the Lord's Sabbath. Do not plant your fields or prune your vineyards during that year, and don't store away any crops that grow um, that grow on their own or gather the grapes from uh, your unpruned vines. The land must have a year of complete rest. Renewal. God goes on to say, because people would start having questions now, like, well, wait a minute, what are we supposed to be doing for a year? Like, you can't, can't fast for that long, right? Like, we're going to, what, what are we supposed to do? God already knows. He's so smart. He's brilliant. He already knows. He says, but you may eat whatever the land produces on its own during its Sabbath. This applies to you, your male and female servants, your hired workers, and the temporary residents who live with you. Your livestock and wild animals in your land also, or will also be allowed to eat what the land produces. So he's like, you can still eat. You just can't work the land. Can't work the land. You got to go a whole year. That would be hard. I think, that that would, I think it's a, an amazing concept, actually. Um, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of people in our day, you know, pro-environment and all that good stuff. Um, there's nobody more pro-environment than God. He's like, it's my land. I get, wish you guys would just give my land a break, <laughs> right? And there's so much science behind this. The logic behind this is, is amazing. If they would just put it into practice, but they didn't put it into practice because they're greedy. Because we're greedy. And I mean, honestly, if I'm a landowner in Israel during this time... I would just, I'd probably be guilty of breaking it because number one, I just don't think I trust them that much. A whole year without harvesting, you know how much money you're costing me, God? That's my livelihood. You know, if you're harvesting so that you can sell and all that good stuff, like that's a year of my wages that I'm supposed to what, just trust you with? And he's like, yeah, exactly. How am I going to survive? Well, you're a good shepherd. 
who loves you, knows how to provide for you. And it's not like you, you can still do a little bit of harvesting type stuff, but you can't work the fields. The fields need rest. It says, in addition, you must count off seven Sabbath years, seven sets of seven years, adding up to 49 years in all. Then on the Day of Atonement, in the 50th year, blow the ram's horn loud and long throughout the land. Set this year apart as holy, a time to proclaim freedom throughout the land for all who live there. It will be a jubilee year for you when each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors and return to your own clan. This 50th year will be a a jubilee for you. This is like a, a freedom festival. So you get to like go back to like your original land. Like my family owned a plot of land over here and way back then. And so, but if you make it to this 50th year, then you get to go back. That's your land. That's your land. And, and the Bible is going to explain this of like how the cer- scenarios and circumstances of how that person didn't have that land anymore. But on this reset year, so to speak, it's like, no, if that was your family's plot of land, you go back to it. And whoever bought it for you, they have to give it, they have to sell it back to you. you that's your plot. That's your land. Get your family back together. Go, to your, go back to your land. Verse, uh, the rest of verse, verse 11, the 50th year will be a jubilee, uh, jubilee for you. During that year, you must not plant your fields or store away any of the crops that grow there on their own. And don't gather the grapes from your unpruned vines. It will be a jubilee year for you, and you must keep it holy. But you may eat whatever the land produces on its own. In the year of Jubilee, each of you may return to the land that belonged to your ancestors. When you make an agreement with your neighbor to buy or sell property, you must not take advantage of each other, right? So again, loving your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to, oh, my neighbor's on hard times. I'm going to buy his land from him, and I'm going like, to get it for a steal. No, no, no. It's your neighbor. You should love them. You're not looking to get one over on them. You're looking to help them out. The whole goal is family. The whole goal is community. The whole goal is helping each other out with the year of Jubilee in the forefront of your brain. Because you understand, no matter what you purchase land-wise, you got to give it back. It's not yours. It's not yours. It's not anybody's. It's God's. Don't take advantage of each other. When you buy land from your neighbor, the price you must pay must be based on the number of years since the last jubilee. The seller must set the price by taking into account the number of years remaining until the next year of the jubilee. The more years until the next jubilee, the higher the price. The fewer years, the lower the price. Right? That's kind of contrary to how we would deal, right? We'd be looking back and like, okay, I only got like one more year. I'm going to get as much out of this as I possibly can. And God steps in and he says, no, you're not. You will sell it for a fair price. You're not trying to get one over on your neighbor. You're going to sell it to him for a fair price. Because your goal, regardless of what, in this note, please note throughout this whole chapter, there is no American dream in this whole chapter at all. This is about community. This is about helping each other out. This is about us as a whole people looking out for each other. Unfortunately, these things were not really lived out. Brilliant ideas by God. Just no follow-through from the people. Not much. There's a little bit of follow-through on some of this as we're going to get into. And if you want a good account for that, just go to the book of Ruth. 
within the book of Ruth, you see some of this lived out. I just don't know how often it was happening, to be honest with you. So you can't take advantage of each other. You can't raise the price because you only have a few more years left on this mortgage or whatever and trying to bleed your neighbor dry or anything like that. You have to, you, if there's only a few years left, then that's, that means that you only get that much from, you know, from your neighbor by selling it to them. It says, after all, the person selling the land is actually selling you a certain number of harvests. Show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord, your God, right? You respect God, all right. Show that by how you treat each other. Because it's one thing to say like, yeah, I love God, but then your lifestyle can totally contradict that. In fact, John had a lot to say about that in the book of 1 John. He was like, I hear a lot of you saying you love God, but I also hear a lot of you saying people saying you hate your, you hate your brother. And he's like, those two aren't compatible. It's oil and water. They don't go together. You fear God? Sweet. Treat your neighbor as yourself. Then that's, that shows how you, that you fear God. Verse 18, if, big transition here, right? He's laid down some stuff. If you want to live securely in the land, follow my decrees and obey my regulations, then the land will yield large crops and you will eat your fill and live securely in it. That sounds like an amazing thing, right? Because we all want that. Like, do you want what you need in an abundance? Yeah, I do. Okay. Um, then you have to obey him. <laughs> it's like, you can't have this and live in disobedience. I mean, he's going to take care of you and all that good stuff. And here's what he's letting the people know. He's like, if you want to live securely in the land, then obey me. If you want to enjoy bountiful harvest, then do what I say. And then the opposite would be true, right? If, if, you have this, and it's like, if you don't obey him, then there's going to be extra drama within your life, so to speak. Not that if you have drama in your life right now, don't, that doesn't mean you're being disobedient to God. That's just life sometimes. <laughs> but this idea of living securely in the land, God's saying, if you want that, you've got to obey me. This is a two-way thing. You've got to trust me. You have to obey me. You have to obey me. Verse 20, but you might ask, what will we eat during the seventh year since we are not allowed to plant or harvest crops that year? Verse 21, be assured that I will send my blessing for you in the sixth year so that the land will produce a crop large enough for three years. See, here's God in his infinite wisdom, already knowing the questions they're going to ask before they even ask them, saying, okay, some of you, guys, some of you are thinking right now, but what about that year where we can't work? God's like, I'm already ahead of you. Here's what's going to happen. Be confident in this thing. Be assured. Be confident in this thing. That sixth year, I'll bless you with abundance. I'll bless you with abundance. It'll cover you not only for that seventh year, but the eighth year and the ninth year. And so if you're doing the math right, you're like, wait a minute. That's almost like halfway into the next cycle. God's like, yeah. I'm ahead of you. you you're going to listen to me, though, right? You're going to obey me, though, right? Because, see, it's all still connected to this condition. If you obey him, here's where 
your prosperity guys would step in and be like, oh, all right, here's the deal. Here's my next book, right? Um, here's, you, you, if you obey God, then he has to bless you. He doesn't have to do anything, number one, okay? We, you can't, we can't box him in like this. He's letting them know, if you obey me, I'll, I'm going to take, he's going to take care of us regardless. I love, you know, love the Old Testament. I love the New Testament where he lets us know, like, I'm going to provide for you. Daily bread, don't worry about it. I got you. There is something to say for those who live in obedience to God. I'm not saying you get extra blessings, but I'm not saying you don't get extra blessings, if you know what I'm saying, (laughs) right? So it's not like his performance thing and all that stuff. He's letting this rebellious people know, look, surrender to me, follow me, listen to me, obey me, and you'll have nothing to worry about. You have nothing to worry about. And even in the worries that you have that they would bring up in the questions, he's like, I already know your question you're going to ask me. I already know the worries that you have before you even have them. And you just got to trust me. You just have to trust me. When you plant, verse 22, your fields in the eighth year, you will still be eating from the large crop of the sixth year. In fact, you will still be eating from that large crop when the new crop is harvested in the ninth year. So God's like, what are you worried about? I got you. I got you. You're like, big Lord, I have to take a break for a whole year. I don't get to work my field. He's like, you're killing my land. You're killing my land with your greed. Take a break. Take a rest. Let my land, because we'll be reminded here in a second, all the land belongs to him. He's like, let my land rest. Take it easy. Enjoy some rest. But no, we can't rest because then I feel lazy. So is God lazy? Is God lazy? Because he created everything in six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. So in an American culture, that means we would equate him as being lazy in our driven, work-driven lifestyle. Well, did you, God, you know how much more you could have created on that seventh day, right? Like, you know, like you could have done so much more, right? That's how we Westerners think. We will kill ourselves, working ourselves to death. In fact, we do every single day. Have a strong work ethic, work hard, work hard. Be the best worker out there, absolutely. But you're not the best worker if you don't know how to rest. You're not the best worker if you don't know how to rest. I struggle with this because I don't know how to rest. I just don't. I don't. 20 years walking with the Lord, I have no idea what this Sabbath thing really means. Because I'm just a doer. Go, go, go. I got a break here. Okay, that means I can do more stuff here. I got a time. I got an empty time slot here. Okay, I can fill that with this and I can do that. And I can just go and just go and just go. And then the stress mounts. And then you have a stroke. You have a heart attack. And then the Lord physically will make you sit down and rest. For me, I'm sure it's the same for some of you. Resting is hard. It's hard. But God's smarter than I am. He's smarter than me. And he says, I think you should rest. In fact, I'm going to make it a rule. You have to rest. And not only you, but I think my, my land should rest as well. So he, lay, he makes this a, a, a rule for them, that you will rest and my land will rest. Do you want to live a life where you don't have to worry? Then trust him. And you're like, ugh, that's hard. Easier said than done. <laughs> Amen to that. Yes. Um, but is he a liar? He's not a liar. He's not lazy, and he's not a liar. 
So if God rests, then we should rest. If he says, I'll take care of you, then there has to be at some point in time that that has to resonate within my heart and my soul that, you know what? I can rest because he's got it in control. And there's not a single thing I can do, not a single thing I can do to add to what he wants accomplished in all my busyness. So it's a good idea just to take a day, just chill out, just chill out. Maybe let six years go by. You know what? Take a sabbatical. You're like, that's only for pastors who have been pastoring for way longer than I have, right? Like, no, you as a believer, take time off. I mean, you got to be responsible too. Make sure you can pay your bills and all that good stuff. But like, we should be looking for opportunities to rest within our lives more than what we do. I really like the whole European thing. I still wish my boss would incorporate the old siesta kind of philosophy, but he's not for that. So I'm like, well, all right, whatever. Um, but just that rest, like chill out. The work's going to get done. It's going to get done. It'll happen. And if it doesn't happen, okay, there might be tomorrow, maybe. And if there's not, then I guess God didn't want it done. So I'll show up today trusting that the Lord is going to do what he wants. And I'm just, I'm still learning how to rest. Still learning. He goes on to say this verse 23, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis. Why? Because the land belongs to me. That's what God says. He's like, you can't sell it on a permanent basis because technically you're just landlords of the land that I own. You're just stewards of his land. Okay. You can maybe exchange land for other elements because we don't live in Israel, but you can exchange land for whatever, fill in the blank. Whatever you have in your life, you have it because God's given it to you. But he's given it to you as for you to steward that thing, okay? You got kids, they're a gift from God. Technically, they belong to him, okay? He's trusted you with them to not manage them, but steward them, mentor them, disciple them. You got ministry, it's not yours, it's his. You got, you fill in the blank, it's his. He says, this land belongs to me. You're only foreigners and tenant farmers working for me. That's God. That's a good reality check for all these Israelites, right? He's like, oh, yeah, don't let it go to your head, okay? This is who you are. Uh, You're foreigners. Wait a minute. This is our land. No, no, no. I'm letting you live here in my land. And you're tenant farmers working for me. With every purchase of land, you must grant the seller the right to buy it back. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and is forced to sell some family land, then a close relative should buy it back for him. No, this this relative should capitalize on that and gain more land for himself. That's not what it says. It says, you as a close relative, if you have the means to do it, you should buy it back for your relative, meaning you pay the price to give them their land back. Okay, so that's one of the scenarios. Verse 26, if there is no close relative to buy the land, but the person who sold it gets enough money to buy it back, then he has the right to redeem it from the one who, uh, who bought it. The price of the land will be discounted according to the number of years until the next year of Jubilee. In this way, the original owner can then return to the land. But if the original owner cannot afford to buy back the land, it will remain with the new owner until the next year of Jubilee. In the Jubilee year, the land must be returned to the original owners so that they can return to their family land. And this is God's way of just keeping it like, look, you fall in hard times, that happens. 
That happened. But there's, there's ways where it's like, eventually, whether, whether it be you or your family, you will get back what was given to you. What's cool about this whole redemption language is that the fact that Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back, right? He stepped in and paid the price for us. He redeemed us. Incredible. Verse 29, this is uh, uh, just a little interesting insight here. It says, anyone who sells a house inside the walled town has the right to buy it back uh, for a full year after its sale. During that year, the seller retains the rights to buy it back. But if it is not bought back within a year, the sale of the house within the walled town cannot be reversed. So it's a done deal. Why is that? Because there's no land attached to it, right? And sometimes it's like a house that was built in the wall itself. So you don't, you're not harvesting any crops or anything because you're, you're, this is urban. You're living in the city. So there's no land associated with this house. It's just a house. And God says, oh yeah, after a year, it's yours. It's yours, okay? But if the house is connected to land or property, then that has to eventually go back to the original family, so if you don't want to have to worry about any of that stuff, then you buy a house built in the wall of the city, and there you go. And after a year, you're like, I never have to worry about somebody showing up at my door and like, hey, I'm here. This is my land. You got to move out, okay? You're Jubilee. Woohoo! Good for me, bad for you. Adios, right? Like, you go back to your land. That's, this is how it's set, okay? Uh, it says, let's see, but in the village, a house in the village... Uh, a settlement w- without fortified walls, obviously, will be treated like property in the countryside. Such a house may be bought back at any time, and it must be returned to the original owner in the year of Jubilee. Okay, so, so you have the house on the, in the wall, can't be bought back after a year, but anywhere outside of that, the person who originally owned that and all that good stuff, if they get the money, they can show up and be like, hey, I'm here for my house. I'm here for my house. And you're like, well, this doesn't seem right. Like, I just moved in. We just unpack the boxes. Do you know how long it takes to unpack boxes after you move into a house? Like, yep, well, too bad. Box it up, move it out, right? Like, this is crazy. But again, God is, is really kind of ordaining order within the land. And he has, you know, this family, he's preserving really the land for the people. And it, just, it really is a beautiful system. If you take a step back and you look at it as a whole, you're like, this is kind of cool. God instituting this thing. It's really interesting. It keeps the ones who have a lot of means from buying up everything and taking advantage of those who don't have as much. And God's like, no, 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 no. Your family, you have this land. This is your land. You may not be afford, able to you know, afford to buy it back right now, but even if you can't, there will come a year or two believe where you will get back your land. This keeps people from monopolizing and somebody owning all the land. Because why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do, okay? So God is watching out for all of his people. It's brilliant. Verse 32, the Levites will always have the right to buy back a house. They have sold within the towns allotted to them. And any property that is sold by the Levites, all houses within the Levitical towns, must be returned in the year of Jubilee. After all, the houses in the towns reserved for the Levites are the only property they own in all Israel. The open pasture land around the Levitical towns may never be sold. It is their permanent possession. So the Levites didn't own any land, but they could have houses. And so God is protecting those guys as well, okay? And especially their farmland, so to speak, you can't sell that. The pasture land and all, it's good stuff. Now, a Levite could sell his house if he needed to, but he would get that back. 
Pastor James Grizzle has been making his way through the book of Leviticus here on Bread for the Broken. Leviticus can be a tough book to get through, with all of its rules and regulations, and sometimes it can be hard to see why we should learn any of that at all today. But every book in the Old Testament points to the person of Jesus. Several of the chapters in Leviticus deal with people who have sinned unintentionally, and then later come to realize their sin. God lays out for them the steps to take in order to receive forgiveness. Now, the people of Israel brought sacrifices to the priests to pay for those sins. But we have a great high priest in Jesus who offered himself as a sacrifice. Leviticus 6-7 says, And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord, and he shall be forgiven. How amazing is it that we have this great high priest who has atoned for all of our sins? The mission of Bread for the Broken is to help people find hope and new life in Jesus. If you'd like to join us in that mission, we have an opportunity for you to donate and to help us spread the word. Head on over to breadforthebroken.com to join us in the mission today. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, you can explore all of the other messages and share them with your friends. And if you're in the Galveston, Texas area, we'd love to see you in a service at Calvary Galveston. We're here Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. But if you can't make it, we stream all of our services on Facebook. Well, we're out of time for today. We'll see you again next time here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you, man.